We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. We have a lot to get to. Sam, let's start with this. How are you doing? Oh, that's an easy one. Um, I'm good. First question. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> we have a lot of them to sift yeah. through. I think it's uh, it's a good time for a mailbag because people have questions now. The uh, Suns roster is more or less finalized. There's still yeah. one open roster spot. There are training camp invites to be doled out. But for the most part, I think we're at that point where we can start to kind of solidify things and and talk about the season to come yeah we can mentally picture what it's going going to look like at this point because we understand what the roster is uh we got a lot of questions thank you to everyone that gave us questions i'm just going to go in order of when we receive these questions and we're going to try to get through as many as we can within about an hour uh so thank you to everyone once again let's start right away at ben in the fourth quarter which is our friend thick boy said (laughs) Will Crowder and CP3 make us one of the most annoying teams to play against in the league? What do you think, Sam? Yeah. Yeah. Next question. So. 
No. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I, we're going to be very annoying. It's Crowder and CP3 and um, obviously Javon Carter still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Etwan mm-hmm. Moore has a little bit of a bite to him. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of guys. Booker. Yeah, and Devin Booker. Booker. <laughs> yeah, he's totally. gotten he's gotten on some guys' nerves before. Yeah, no, I'll I think, say this though. Sure, I think just Chris Paul alone makes you one of the most annoying teams 100%. to play against in the league. You, 100%. we all remember when he pointed out the one player that had his jersey untucked and changed the course of an entire game. That's just Chris Paul. It doesn't take anybody else to make you annoying. So I th- him I alone. Think, I think we're gonna see kind of like a fascinating tonal shift where people are rooting for the Suns. Uh, during the regular season, at least when we're not playing their favorite team, because it's like, oh, look, it's the Suns. Yeah. They haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. Let them have this. But then once we get into the playoffs, I think it's going to shift. <laughs> and it's going to be like, fuck Chris Paul. I, you know, yeah. I, Chris Paul's whiny, all the usual stuff. But yeah, can't, I can't wait. Uh, next question at Art of the Dial said, which player is most likely to replicate their bubble performance this year? And then he listed the players, Payne, Sarich, Carter and Cam Johnson. Um, I thought this was a really interesting question. My first thought was Cameron Johnson. I think that we're going to get a little bit more into Cameron Johnson later and what his role is going to look like going forward. I just think if you just start out with Payne and Carter alone, their shooting performances were almost impossible uh, to replicate going forward. Impossible. I'll just call it impossible. (laughs) Cameron Payne shot over 50%. I think Carter was close to 50% or around there at the bubble. So that's difficult for them. I think Sharich could get close. Like in order, I would say Cameron Johnson most likely, Sharich second most likely, and then somewhere down at the bottom, a combination of both Cameron Payne and Javon Carter. Uh, but I just think Sharich could do that based on his role. Cameron Johnson is most likely because what he did in the bubble, I don't think was anything like totally exceptional. I think it all came together in, in a great way for him where his defense and his shooting came together at the right time. But I think he could replicate that going forward. What do you think? Yeah, my initial impression, uh, I agree with you, but my initial impression was Dario because I think Dario is going to be that guy who maybe grows more comfortable in his role and retains that role. And uh, I mean, look, with Cam, I, I do agree that the shooting and the rebounding uh, and the defense all came together. Um, he's just, he's not going to start the season starting at power forward. Um, I'm I'm willing to bet a lot on it. So um, I don't know if there's more of an adjustment period for him where we see him struggle with that a little bit. But uh, yeah, Dario would be my bet of these four, I think. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And I think we'll get a little bit more into the starters if we get to that question later here. Um, at this underscore league, one of his questions, he asked a few. He said, if voted on by the same body that decides coach of the year, is Monty considered a top 15 coach? If yes, is he top 10? So basically the, the, the meat of this question is, is Monty considered a top 15 coach uh, by the league at large or top 10 at this point? And I, I would argue that after the bubble, he probably is. I, I think it's difficult to, to guess the perceptions of other people, especially the people who vote for awards. Um, but he did win coach of the bubble and there was a lot of really great coaches there. I think any any coach that can lead a team to an eight-game winning streak when things really matter can be considered one of the better coaches in the league. But it's really difficult for me to guess how other people perceive him at this point. A lot of that will depend on how well they play. I think there's a lot more pressure on a coach that is coaching, just like the players, when the team is expected to be good. 
then when there's expected to be bad, there's sort of a nothing to lose attitude there uh, when it came to the bubble. Now with Chris Paul, with, with Jay Crowder and the expectations that comes with those players, I think his sort of fate and how he's perceived is, is going to be viewed a lot differently. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think the other thing about coaching is just that it's so interpersonal, like the difference between coaching and being a GM, you can kind of get away. Now, granted, we didn't see this with, say, Ryan McDonough, but as a GM, you can kind of get away with being the whole cold, calculating, you know, math nerd um, and have a really good reputation. Like, look at a guy like Sam Presti or, or Danny Ainge, who are considered these great GMs that basically just treat their players arguably like shit or at least, you know, like assets. Um, that's all they are. Um, whereas with coaching, it's it's so much about just your your personal reputation. There's there's so much more to it than just the X's and O's. And so I think you look at the fact that just no one no one I've seen has ever had anything bad to say about Monty Williams. Um, yeah, I think if you actually went around and polled the rest of the coaches or the media or whoever um, in the league about who the who the top fifteen coaches are, no doubt I think he would be uh, an above average coach. But I don't think he has the the track record of playoff success that he would be like in the top five or top 10 or anything. Not at this point. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty accurate. But I, I, I do think that he's improved. A lot of the things that he was criticized for when he was last a coach, a head coach, uh, he's improved a lot at. And 100%. I think that, could, that could go a long ways towards uh, his reputation. It does. But getting better and better. I guess the last thing I want to say about it, though, is like, like if I was voting and I don't have this power or this authority, but if I were voting on coaches right now and who I think the best coaches in the league are based on where I've made mistakes in the past, uh, you, you need a playoff track record. You just can't do it without it. Like I, I was convinced that Mike Budenholzer was maybe the best coach in the league. And now I wouldn't say that anymore because it's one thing to implement. We've talked about this before. It's one thing to implement a system that is going to lead you to regular season success, but it's entirely different thing to mm-hmm. be able to have the flexibility in a playoff setting in a best of seven series where you can throw out your system if needed and make yep. changes on the fly. And a coach like Bud um, proved that he wasn't capable of doing that. And therefore he's not, he's very clearly not the best coach in the NBA with right. Monty. I'd like to believe he can do that. He certainly covered the first base, which is install a system in Phoenix that works in the regular season. They did that last year. It worked. They're going to do something similar roughly this year, and I think it's going to work again. But until we see him in a playoff setting, I just don't know. Is he going to make those game-to-game adjustments? I don't know. Yeah, the regular season is checkers. The postseason is chess. Coaching just matters so much more in the postseason. It is nice if the Suns make the playoffs to have a player like Chris Paul in this scenario. Giannis, for all he's good at, doesn't really have the experience in the NBA to be able to change on the fly as quickly as someone like Chris Paul could. And I think that will help a little bit, assuming they make the playoffs, which I think they will. At Trent01, by the way, I'm just reading your ads. Sorry if I get them wrong. Uh, how do you guys see the power forward position turning out? And then he said Crowder uh, or Saric. Uh, first of all, Saric is a center. I will always say that. Uh, look, I think <laughs> he, is, he can he play backup. Yeah, he's both. I think he can play backup four minutes. I don't like him as, as the starting four, personally, unless he finds a way to be a little bit more mobile. I think speed around DeAndre is is more important than size at this point. I think it's Crowder. We both talked about it before, Sam, that we think Crowder is starting. But I will say this. I spent the last week to two weeks watching 
obsessively watching Chris Paul film from the last two seasons specifically. And the way that Chris Paul worked with Danilo Gallinari Mm. last season in OKC makes me feel like he would actually prefer to play with Cameron Johnson uh, over Crowder because Cameron Johnson is more capable of shooting on the move a little bit. Yeah. Coming around screens, setting screens, dropping back in a pick and pop, that kind of thing. Crowder prefers to be standing still and then shooting a standstill shot. So I think there actually may be a chance by the end of the season that Cameron Johnson somehow breaks into that starting lineup. At the very least, I think there's a chance that Chris Paul is pulled a little early in favor of Devin Booker controlling maybe the entire second half of the first quarter and then matching up some extra minutes with Chris Paul and Cameron Johnson, uh, maybe a little bit more as much as maximizing that as much as possible. Cause I think they're yep. going to actually work really, really well together. What do you think? Uh, well, I was going to say exactly what you just said there. I think there is a decent chance that whether it's uh, early on in the season or halfway through the season, they kind of realize, okay, campaign, uh, not, <laughs> not working out, you know, maybe not awful, not as bad as Ilya Kobo or something, but like not working out as intended just to run the offense on his own. So they're like, okay, we need to stagger Booker and, and Paul a little bit. So let's pull Chris Paul out like, you know, four or five minutes into the first quarter, play some point book, and then bring Chris Paul back in with some of the subs, uh, one of whom would be Cam Johnson. And you kind of see them together a lot in that sort of way. Um, yeah, I, but but to answer the original question, I mean, Jay Crowder was brought in to be the starting power for it. I'm very confident of it. Yeah, um, yeah. Otherwise, I think he he had like plenty of other teams that he could have um, chosen, including like a, another team that is poised to be very good in Dallas that supposedly, mm-hmm. according to the rumors, he chose us over. Um, so I think I'm I'm almost sure they gave him a guarantee of a starting spot. Yeah. Yeah. And if they didn't, I still think he'll likely start at the beginning just because defensively he's built to guard fours more than Cameron Johnson is. And, and Cameron Johnson can put a lot of effort in and he'll be in the right spot, but he can get, he just can get pushed around a little bit more than, than Crowder can. And that's no fault of his, his frame is what makes him a good shooter in a lot of ways. So Crowder's just not going to get pushed around a lot. So if we have to play guys with bigger forwards, I think Crowder's going to get that. He's, there's a lot of forwards that are stars in the NBA, and you'd rather crowd or defend them than, than Cameron Johnson. At AN underscore GOAT445 said, what are reasonable stats for Aiton to average next season? What do you think? Well, if he doesn't average at least 30 points and 25 <laughs> rebounds. Then, yeah, four blocks. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm not giving him a max contract. No, um, I think... <laughs> So I think what we've said about Aiton before and what I'm going to hold him to now is like he doesn't statistically have to get that much better to be a max player. In fact, that's just a fact that he doesn't have to do that. Like Bam Adebayo has worse statistics than DeAndre Aiton across the board except for assists. He does get assists. Um, and he's worthy of his max contract that he just signed, I think. So for Aiton, it's less about stats. I mean, I would, I, I, I'll put it this way. I think he could very easily average... 20 and 12 and two blocks next year and be a max contract player or he could very easily average 20 and 12 and two blocks next year and not be a max contract player and the thing that makes the difference are some of the intangibles um first of all just aggression um like if there's anything statistically that i want him to improve on the first number that i'm circling there is 2.3 free throw attempts per game last year that is pitiful um, that cannot continue, and if he has another season averaging a number close to that, 
I absolutely do not want to give him anything close to a to a max contract. He needs to be at least in the four to five free throw attempt per game range because it means he's cutting out some of those mid-range jumpers and opting to actually attack the rim, maybe put the ball on the floor a little bit um, and work to get himself to the free throw line as any efficient modern big needs to do. So that's the first thing I'm looking at. But just for overall stats, like I'm not expecting 25 points um, per game from him or anything. I think that would be unreasonable. I think there's a there's a pretty efficient way for him to just get up there a little bit to like 20 or 21. No matter how much I think about it, I struggle to care about his offensive stats no matter what. Now, that's assuming we're not including rebounding in that because I do want him to be close to one of the best rebounders in the NBA because he's capable of that as early as next season. That means top five rebounders in the NBA. I'd like him to be there. Points-wise, it just... I Just about anything that you do... If a center is taking too many shots, it's likely that those shots are less valuable than if other people took those shots in a lot of cases. So if he's not, if he's just getting dunks at the rim or layups at the rim, that's great. That's really all I want him to do offensively. That's totally fine. What I want to see is improvements defensively for him no matter what. Yes, I'd like to see him get free throws. Yes, I'd like to see him dunk it a little bit more than just try to lay it in or shoot a floater. But more important than any of that for him is what you see. And it's still difficult to measure defense in statistics. So more than anything else, it's what I see on the court. And what I want to see is continued improvement on defense. He's done a good job improving year over year so far. If he can continue on that improvement, he can get close to one of the best big man defenders in the NBA. He's mobile enough, he's big enough, and he's got the athleticism to do it. So I think that's the most important thing for me going forward. As far as offensive role, I'd like it to remain small. Uh, you know, it's important to me offensively that he rolls hard to the rim over and over and over again, regardless of whether or not he gets the ball. And that's the type of thing that you don't see in the statistics. Like if mm-hmm. you just look at his stats and he's averaging 16 points and 13 rebounds or whatever, which would be great. But part of that is because every time he rolls to the rim, three guys are swarming him because they're afraid of him dunking it. And that opens up shooters. That does not go into the stats for him, so that you know that's the type of thing that matters more. So it's it's difficult for, for me to so hinge roll anything assist, on. You could you could call yeah it. yeah exactly exactly instead of a screen assist, it's kind of a yeah. similar principle. Yeah, I love that. Um, so for me, it's just it's just less about specifically what the box score says at the end of the season, and more about what I see on the court. And I know that a lot of people feel that way, but. I just I struggle to care about the offense still, no matter what. F- free throws would be nice, especially with no more Kelly Oubre because I don't. There's not a lot of guys that are are about to get a lot of free throws on this team. I think Chris Paul and Devin Booker are obvious ones, but beyond that, I'm not sure who. Maybe, maybe like there's a good chance that Dario Saric averages the third most free throws on this team next season. That's wow. like a realistic possibility, right? Yeah. Um... I, I don't know. I'm not looking at the totals right now. How many did Dario even average last season? Not much, but in, in the bubble, I think that he found a way in that specific role to shoot more free throws than he was previously, which I yeah, think he made was him a lot more efficient. He was sixth on the team overall last season per game, but three of the guys in front of him were Frank Kaminsky, uh, Ricky Rubio, and Kelly Oubre. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, that's one thing. I know we haven't qu- quite gotten into maybe what we're worried about or things that could 
could be bad um, going forward. I think the one of the big things that we're going to talk about a lot is free throws. If DeAndre Ayton can't be the guy getting to the free throw line a little bit more, there's just not going to be a lot of them. And for a team that's going to be really good at shooting free throws, getting more of them would help a lot. So yeah, because maybe you that'll at, be on him. A you little look bit at more. this bench too, or if like campaign needs to catch fire. Because you look at this bench and, and those other guys, like each one more and Langston Galloway are great that they just brought in. Um, yeah. They can attack closeouts, but like they're shooters. No. Yeah. They're no, shooters. They're going to shoot. Not, yeah. They're not. And we want line. them to shoot. Like that's mm-hmm. their, that's what we brought them in for. So you don't, you don't draw a lot of free throws without dribbling. You have to you have to dribble the ball. And that's why Dario Saric was getting more in the bubble than he was previously. He was handling the ball a lot more. Uh, let's see. At Dane Bjorklund, I believe. His question, don't you think we'd be better off starting Cam over Crowder? We'd still have three great defenders in our lineup, Paul Bridges and Aiton, and a more potent offensive lineup. So we just touched on this, but I want to I say something now. If we start the season with Jay Crowder in the starting lineup and then we have Cameron Johnson on the bench, I just want to tell people right now, please don't use net rating stats to say Cameron Johnson should start over Jay Crowder right away. Remember that Jay Crowder will probably be on the floor when the best offensive player from the other team is on the floor, meaning that he has more of a bigger role defensively and that if Cameron Johnson is coming off the bench and playing against more bench players, maybe he matches minutes with uh, Chris Paul a little bit more. Those net ratings are going to be through the roof. That's something that happens with Chris Paul and benches commonly. And uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that Cam needs to start over Jay Crowder right away. If Jay Crowder is guarding LeBron in the game over and over and over again, yeah. there's a good chance that the other team is going to be a lot better when Jay Crowder is on the floor than or, when he's not. Or Jay Crowder at power forward. I mean, he'll be guarding Anthony Davis with that right. Lakers team. Whereas Cam exactly. Johnson is coming out to guard Markeith Morris or something. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. So we can't. we just can't use those net rating stats right away. We just have to... Make sure that we understand the context of that right away because I think Jay Crowder is... like Look, if if we look at the team right now, there's a lot of players that we're going to be really attached to. If we have to find one guy that's going to take a beating from fans maybe a little more than he deserves, I'd have to pick Jay Crowder as that guy right now because oh, he, yeah. can get, he can get a little cold from three. And I think for a lot of fans, it's a little harder to recognize what people bring defensively than what they bring offensively. Offense is easy mm-hmm. to see, so... I just I'll say that I you know I think there's a chance that Cameron Johnson can earn that starting line uh, spot going forward, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, but I just don't think that I think we have to understand those net rating stats early because I have a feeling they're gonna they're gonna look really good for Cameron Johnson at the beginning of the season. Maybe not as good for Crowder. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, if there's one guy. It's going to be Jay Crowder, who people hate a little bit, you know? I mean, Memphis fans still hate Jay Crowder. Uh, granted, it's a bit of a different situation. Memphis wasn't <laughs> trying to compete last year exactly. Well, I guess they were at the end, um, but no one expected that they would be able to compete. Um, and we're going in with this expectation of we are a playoff team. So if Crowder doesn't lay it all out there every night with full effort and full 110% hustle, um, people are going to dog him because he's, def- yeah. he's definitely going to have those games where he shoots nine threes from the corner and only like two go in. Right, right. Uh, so he still brings something. Just remember that, especially gonna, if he's guarding the best player on the other team. There's going to be troll tweets directed at, yeah. at boss man. I guarantee it. I'm already ready to go over the top defending him going forward because <laughs> he's exactly the type of player that I like. And I think that commonly becomes a little underappreciated if he's playing well. You know, if he's if he's not doing well, if he's missing defensive assignments and, and, and 
giving up backdoor cuts and stuff like that that Kelly Oubre did, then then of course we have to point that out too because we did for Oubre. Uh, let's see. Surging Suns, our friend Serge, he said, do you think Moore or Galloway will be ahead of either Javon or Payne in the rotation? This is an interesting question. I have, I have some thoughts. Uh, what do you think, Sam? This is a really interesting question because I've got no fucking clue. I'm going to be honest with you. I think these are four guys who are on a very even playing field. And each of them has their strengths. You know, like you can visualize Cam hypothetically as the guy who can create for himself the best. He's the only one of the four who can kind of hit a pull-up three. Javon is obviously the best defender. And then the other two guys, though, um, they're shooters just like Javon is, but they can run off screens and, and do fancy shooting stuff that Javon with his little arms can't do. Um, I don't really know. What do you think? If I were Monty Williams, Langston Galloway would be number one in the rotation out of these guys for me because there were 26 players that basically shot six threes a game at over 40% in the entire NBA, and Langston Galloway was one of them. It's not, there's not a lot of guys that have proven, this was last season, there's not a lot of guys that have proven to be that good at shooting threes at that level of volume. And if it were me, I would do my best to try to stagger Devin Booker and Chris Paul and try to limit the amount of minutes that the Suns play without one of those two guys on the court and then put them in at the end to close together. And if I were to do that, that would mean Galloway could play well with both of those guys. So to be that sort of linking guy, like if Chris Paul comes out and Galloway comes in, a lot of pressure on Devin Booker to be the point guard at that point, not a lot of secondary creation. Maybe you could bring Saric in at that point as well. Uh, but then if, if when Devin Booker comes out and Galloway maybe stays in and Chris Paul comes in, that's still a good fit. So if I had to pick any of these guys, i say Galloway is number one right now just based on those shooting stats alone. So those but those matchups minutes, will matter though. Matchups will matter for sure. Those minutes when neither CP3 nor Booker are on the floor, mm-hmm. those are the only minutes that I'm worried about this team the entire season, unless they're right. injuries. And that's Cameron Payne right now. I, it just is right. I know it has to be. But so, I mean, how many of those minutes do we think there actually will be per game? I hope not a lot. You know, like if it's seven or eight minutes a game, yeah. that's ideal. Like an, like a you small know, four early minutes stretch. A half. A small early stretch at the beginning of the second yeah. quarter and like a small early stretch in the late third quarter or something, you know, but like yeah. never in clutch time and never mm-hmm. like like you said, maybe seven or eight minutes per game. I don't think we can survive more than that unless Cam really proves to be who we hope he is and yeah. is like our, I don't know, Dennis Schroeder type. 15 point per game can you imagine man. i mean that would be insane because <laughs> it would be insane if, if and you campaign, know he's got chris paul right he's got a mentor now <laughs> i know if campaign becomes that um then the suns are like the best offensive team in the league they're a top three oh, seed I and think. The, they're and like the they net, don't have the a net rating weekend. the net rating for the starting lineup if they just play with you know with chris paul and, and devin booker are playing together all the time is going to be through the roof hopefully right. but but um, my worry currently is yeah, the net rating with Booker and Paul at the same time is going to be through the roof. But then there's going to be eight or ten minutes a game where it's just campaign running the show. And that net rating is going to be like minus 15 or minus 20 yeah. or something. That's my worry right now. And again, it's not that campaign's a bad player. It's just that he's maybe being put into a role a little bit hastily. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I just think in general, having a guy that has to be guarded, just you cannot leave him at the three-point line will matter a lot if you try to stagger those minutes. But otherwise, it's got to be Cameron Payne. So that's that's just kind of how it's going to look. At Titan J said, 
How many unique starting lineups will there be next season? I want to throw out, just for the sake of this question, let's just throw out injuries. Let's just try not to factor in the starting lineups that are just for injuries. Just based on basketball, everyone's healthy. This is who Monty chooses to start. I think there's probably going to be two and maybe three if they do something crazy for like the Lakers and put Saric in the starting lineup. But I think um, some sort of combination of Crowder or Cameron Johnson throughout the season mm. could be the starting power forward. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, I mean, if we're throwing out injuries, the one, the two, and the five are always going to stay the same. It's always going to be CP3, Book, and Aiden. So it's just that three and four. I think there's four combinations that you can make. Either McHale and Crowder, which is what we think it's going to be. Um, McHale and Cam, which is what other people are arguing for. Or you could argue, you know, you could go with Crowder at the three and Cam at the four. Or you could go with, you know, if for some reason you... I don't know. Like, I don't know what the circumstances would be that you bench Mikhail Bridges for a combination of Crowder and Cam, but I could conceivably see arguing for mm. that if, like, <laughs> I could hear you groaning quietly in the background. It's tough. Um, or, like, if you want to go big one night, you could go with Crowder at the three and Sarge at the four. That's a matchup-dependent thing. Yeah. I think you could like, reasonably yeah. argue for any of those four, is my point. Yeah, that's probably pretty accurate, I, I would say. But I think most likely... I think the starters are relatively obvious on this team in a way that maybe they weren't before. Although, you know, thinking back at the beginning of last or before the beginning of last season, we were very sure about Dario Saric as the center, as the starting power forward. I mean, and uh, I can't even, I can't even say power forward when I talk about him anymore. <laughs> I just automatically say center. Uh, and then that changed. So we'll see, uh, you know, different players can, can earn their, their right in that starting lineup. So we'll see what happens, but I think most likely, yeah. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring you only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts and now indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job making indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do right now indeed is offering our listeners a free 75 dollars credit to boost your job post which means more quality candidates will see it fast try indeed out with a free 75 dollars credit at indeed.com blue wire this is their best offer available anywhere go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire offer valid through december 31st terms and conditions apply football is back in full swing you might not be at the game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else you can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget, 
to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BETONLINE, your online sportsbook experts. All right, what do you think? This is at DBACS. 2020 cham one <laughs> what do you think booker's average stat line is gonna look like what do you think sam uh, basically the same i don't think it's gonna yeah. i mean if you look at this roster you basically gave up some points in uh swapping out uh kelly Oubre for crowder because because jay crowder's not gonna average 19 points per game he's just not he's, he's probably gonna be like 12 to 14 or something if i had to guess um but then you got some points back in swapping rubio for chris paul and those are basically the only major substitutions you made i think everyone else is going to be pretty even with who they're coming in to to replace mm-hmm. i would i mean booker was already uber efficient last year like he was already close to 50 40 i think he's going to be there again well i guess mm-hmm. he he started out the season close to 50 40 and then he ended what like 35 36 percent from three he dipped down a little bit i don't know if i'm I don't know. Every year I want to say this is going to be the year that Devin Booker shoots 40% from three and then it doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. happen and he never hits uh, seven threes in a game or whatever. So I'm not going to bet on that, but I'm just going to say his efficiency stays about the same, his points per game stay about the same. He's going to have a really good season and he's just going to get more of a positive narrative around him by virtue of the fact that the Suns are winning. But I still think he's going to get his like 26 and six and not much more than that. We're going to have to do an over-under podcast soon. Yep. Um, and I think that number is going to be really interesting. But I can tell you, I'm probably going to pick the over <laughs> because I think there's a chance that he averages around 30 points next season. I, I think there's a chance. And yes, maybe that's expecting a lot. But I, I, I feel like something happened in the bubble where Monty Williams figured out that putting the ball in Devin Booker's hands more and allowing him to run more and more pick and rolls made him better and it made the entire team better. And that's essentially point book in a way, even if there's a point guard next to him, which in a lot of cases it was Rubio or it was Cam Payne in, in the bubble. Now it could be Chris Paul in some scenarios, but it could also be now Cameron Johnson and Langston Galloway are in the corners and that's a lot of space for a guy like Devin Booker. And I think there's a chance that he really goes off in, in specific areas of this season and, and could get those points close to 30 points a game. But I think it's a reasonable thing to guess that he would remain the same, maybe slightly more efficient, which would be insane. Uh, but I think that's that's a reasonable guess. Let's see. At Surging Suns, once again, said, what improvements are you looking for from Aiton outside of points and rebounds? I think, uh, Sam, you and I are about to begin working on something for this that could probably answer that question better than you and I can answer right now. Is that okay to tease right now? Well, now we have to do it. I mean, <laughs> that's that's the thing about you saying it on a podcast is it was like something in the very early stages that we had talked about doing, and now we have to do it. So, yeah. Thanks. Good. Um, I like that kind of pressure. Yeah, we'll do it. Um, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, and I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, Sam had specific things offensively and defensively, and I just talked specifically about his defense. But I think there's there's more to talk about with DeAndre Ayton than we can probably fit in a mailbag podcast right now that I think we should focus on more later. Um, at Profex Sons underscore Sons said, would love to hear you guys talk about the potential of the bench trio of Jalen Smith, <laughs> Dario Saric, and Cameron Johnson. I'm fascinated by the size they all possess. 
I really like this question, and I really liked picturing these guys playing together. I think someone like Jay Crowder, you want to be playing the power forward. Somebody like Dario Saric, you potentially want to be playing center, as I've talked about. Jalen Smith is a bit of an unknown in this specific equation. But I think Cameron Johnson is the type of player that, like, I'd be comfortable with him playing shooting guard to power forward, basically. <laughs> because, really? yes, yes, he's tall. Uh, but I wouldn't worry too much about him covering most shooting guards because his size will help out. And he does not, like, totally outmatched athletically against a lot of people in the NBA. But the shooting just translates across all those positions. But basically what I'm saying is, yes, he sort of thrived at the power forward, but I don't think that what the skills that he possesses don't make him any worse at the small forward. I actually think he'll do fine there and, and actually do really great. Uh, so I think it's really fascinating. But for me, this all depends on how well Jalen Smith uh, plays in his rookie season. There's a chance that even if he'll be a really good player later, uh, that he's not very good this first season. And that's okay. That's that's kind of my expectation around most rookies. And, and that's okay. But what do you think? Yeah, I'm just prepared for him to not play a lot. Like, I don't think this particular trio is one that we're going to see a ton, but I could be proven wrong, especially if there are injuries. Mm. I'm just, yeah, I'm prepared for like a eight to 10 minute per game rookie season average from Jalen Smith, where he plays like every other game, you know? Like that, that kind of feels right to me. And yeah. he, he really has to earn the minutes beyond that. I mean, that's that's the tough thing about sharing a position with uh, DeAndre Ayton, who's going to, yeah. you know, is going to be soaking up like automatically 32 to 35 minutes a game. I'll say this. As I talked about earlier, I watch, I've watched a lot of Chris Paul film uh, over the last two weeks. And something that Chris Paul really likes is guys who can get up above the rim and catch the ball above the rim. Now, for the Suns, that's really only DeAndre Ayton right now. There's that's no Damian, more. Kel- Damian Jones does it too. Damian Jones is there, and maybe he'll get minutes just based off that alone. But Jalen Smith also can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's a chance that just that sort of that type of chemistry he has with guys like that alone could help him a lot. Like when I was watching a lot of film of Chris Paul, and what I noticed a lot of is assists to Nerlens Noel, who's not that good of a player. And I mind you, I think he's fine. Like, he's not terrible. But I think what Chris Paul makes Nerlens Noel is a lot more than what somebody else would make Nerlens Noel on a team. And that's what I think of when I think of Damian Jones, and that's what I think of when I think of Jalen Smith. But there was also a lot of lobs to guys like Hamadou Diallo or even SGA, guys who can get above the rim relatively well. And I think about the Suns and I think maybe we're going to see a lot more lobs caught by somebody like Mikhail Bridges on those weak side cuts because that's just where Chris Paul is going to put the ball and make him go up and get it with those long arms. And I think that's good for him. But there's not a lot of other guys that can do that. Devin Booker is not really that kind of guy. He, he's got his own strengths, so it's fine. Jay Crowder is not going to get over the rim for a lob, at least not often. So maybe Jalen Smith gets more minutes based off that alone. He has to prove it on defense, so I think that's a big, big thing for him. All right, at the Vengeance 6 said, if you had to choose one player on the Suns to win an NBA award next season, who would that player be and what would the award be? Devin Booker, MVP. Pretty easy for me. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. Well, I, I had another one that I thought of too. Okay. Uh, for Devin to win MVP, yeah. it really is pretty tough. Like, They'd for be Devin- the one or two seed. They'd have to be. I, I was going to say top three, but you're probably right. Like they need yeah. to be, yeah, they need to be like a one, two seed. It needs to be obvious. And he needs to, he needs to like average 30 points per game. And like it'd be a Kevin Durant assists. season, basically. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what it would take. That would be phenomenal. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be really, really fun. Um, the other guy that I thought of, like, if the Suns finish as a top three or top four seed and they're on pace for, like, twice as many wins as they have losses, I think you could you could see Mikhail Bridges make an all-defensive yeah. uh, team this year. Yeah. I think this could be the year for that. I actually went back and looked at the history, and the last time the Suns had a player on an all-defense team was Raja Bell in uh. 2008 when they went 55 and 27. So exactly what I'm talking about. Like one of the best teams in the Western conference, but I think that team was still like the third seed. Like they weren't the absolute best team. Um, and, and that was enough for Raja to, to get credited as like, yeah. Yeah. Cause the thing is like national writers, the the people who vote on this, they already know that Mikhail Bridges is a great defender. Like the guys in the know already know, but like sometimes it just takes being on national TV and like getting into a playoff series. I actually think that that is the most likely one too. Because they also like a little bit of the hipstery picks, if you will, right? You know what I mean? They want to pick the guy that maybe less people have been talking about. And I think that would be Mikhail Bridges. And in a lot of ways, picking players for these types of awards was specifically to give them the recognition that maybe they deserved and no other thing gave them. We remember the All-NBA recognition for Goran Dragic. I think that probably came likely because he didn't make the All-Star team. If he had made the All-Star team, I think there's a chance he just wouldn't have made the All-NBA team because, you know, it felt like a little bit of a makeup call, <laughs> if you will. And um, I do think that there's like a bit of a narrative building around Mikhail Bridges that the types of guys who vote for those awards might actually vote for him. And I think that's probably um, taking from a question that we're going to cover later. But I think that's actually the most likely one. I don't think that the Coach of the Year awards matter that much. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the coach of the year is never the best coaches to me, so I don't really care if Monty wins that. I don't know if you feel any way about that. I mean, the only way he wins it is if they win, um, I was going to say 60 win, like a 60 win pace. Yeah. I don't know what numbers correlate with what anymore because I can't. 52 or something like that. Yeah, I can't do the quick math. But yeah, like a 55 win season in a 72 game season or something. You know, like they need to be the one seed or the two seed or something. All right. Next question at Prime Yems. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what kind of what kind of potential do you think the Suns have to add a potential? Oh, so this is a question basically saying, is it possible for the Suns to add a third star or a fourth star, if you will, and keep DeAndre Ayton? And basically, who could they target if they wanted to do that? I really don't. This year? I don't really see any scenario where you could do this. That w- in a way that it would make sense because you'd have to give up Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson, probably both of them. Uh, yeah, I just and you don't. don't really you just see don't it. have the contract. Like if he's talking about this year, you just don't have the contracts. To yeah, match. it had to be like Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and then you'd have to throw in somebody that makes a little bit more, somebody like Jay Crowder or Dario Saric. Right, and it, it would get really complicated. And this is part of the problems with having a guy that makes forty-one million dollars. Those problems not as big when you start to see how good they're going to look, but. Um, it, there's not a lot of flexibility to do something like that. If if you're starting to talk about maybe trading, you know, if if you do want to talk about trading uh, DeAndre, in which we're not doing right now, uh, maybe you could get a third star at that point. But is it worth it? Th- I think that's going to be the question. A lot of that will depend on how they look out of the gates. I think. Um, let's see. He also mentioned Miles Turner and Aaron Gordon as potential guys there. I I, I don't. I'd rather have Mikhail Bridges than either of those guys Agreed. going forward. And even Cameron Johnson, like he's going to be on a rookie deal until he's 26. First of all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't (laughs) No, No, 
None of those are ex- exciting to me. All right, at James, it'll be interesting to see what stars are available this season. I think there's always something unpredictable that happens. That'll be a fun thing to watch. Um, at Jay Morales 310 said, what are the chances DeAndre Ayton turns into an all-star and what is DeAndre Ayton's ceiling? I think he means this season, right? If I don't know if he means turning into an all-star ever in his career. I think there's a good chance he's an all-star at some point in his career. And I think there's even a small chance he's an all-star this season, but I think the most likely scenario if the Suns are really good is they get two all-stars and they're Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Chris Paul's 11th all-star, by the way, and uh, Devin Booker's second. So I think it would be hard for him this season unless one of those guys misses a lot of time and they're still really good. But um, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I think there's a spot open. Like, the West is really hard, don't get me wrong, but that's mostly because there are a lot of good guards and forwards in the West. Um, Rudy Gobert was an all-star last year and Rudy Gobert is a great player but like right if the Suns are ahead of the Jazz in the standings yeah and DeAndre Ayton has objectively a better stat line than Rudy Gobert why wouldn't he get that spot you know like those are a couple of ifs like those need to happen but I could totally see him being an all-star this year to be honest like if DeAndre Ayton is averaging 20 and 12 and the Suns are the fourth seed you're gonna give it to Gobert over him I don't know yeah the next question by Groovier Space was What's the earliest you could see Aiton having an all-star season? And I think the obvious answer to that question is this season. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I, it I, I, I wouldn't. I don't think it's a better than fifty percent chance of happening. Like right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on it happening, but it's definitely in the realm of possibilities. Yeah, I, I think so too. And as far as the question on his ceiling, I think that's really difficult to say. Like, I, I think if you want to say top five center in the NBA, that's possible best center in the NBA. He already kind of is, is that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, best center in the NBA is, I think, a little hard because Jokic is incredible, like one of the best players in the NBA. And Joel Embiid is incredible, one of the best players in the NBA. And even Bam Adebayo, who knows what his ceiling could be if he continues to get better. Uh, but, you know, if you said that third best center in the NBA next season, I don't think that's completely insane. I, I don't know that it's possible still. Uh, it's an interesting question. We'll see. And I think we'll talk more about that later. It's it's a conversation. I think that's going to come up a lot on this podcast at Don's bread said, <laughs> what's your favorite air bud movie? And why is it the one where they go to space? Is that, um, I don't, I don't fucking know. Is that, <laughs> is that one of the air buddies one or is it the I original air bud? I, now I have to look it up. Um, now I'm afraid to say this, but I've never seen an Air Bud movie, so... Ever? No. Not even the sorry. original? Not even the original. Oh, okay. Luckily, there's an IMDb page uh, on the ABCU, which, of course, for those at home, is the, the Air Bud Cinematic Universe. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the ABCU. That's bad. Oh, look, I, I've never seen one, and I probably will never watch one. Although, I would consider having a few drinks and watching the Air Bud goes to space movie with all of our Twitter friends at some point. Wait a second. Are all of these <laughs> movies in the same universe or is this just a user-made list? Have you ever heard of Most Valuable Primate? Oh, my God. <laughs> What's, what sport is that? Is that... <laughs> so, this one appears to be hockey. Oh, my but God. But there was a skateboarding one released the year after. No. It's so bad. That's, that's so bad. That's definitely not made by the same people, though. <laughs> anyway, um, I, look, right. what was the question again? I'm just glad that uh, yeah. Airbud went to space before Fast and Fast Furious. Fast and Furious, yeah. 
That's pretty. Maybe impressive. they'll see him there. Maybe it'll. Maybe <laughs> we'll learn that the may. Fast and Furious universe and the ABCU actually exists within the same universe. Once they go to space and they see Air Bud in like a dog spacesuit, I imagine. I mean, there's no uh, reason for them not to. Yeah. He also asked, not as fun. What's the worst case scenario for this team? <laughs> Um, the worst can case we throw scenario. out? Can we just throw out like torn ACLs and not okay, say something right. like that? <laughs> I know you were gonna probably go there right away, but like, let's say they everyone stays relative, like reasonably healthy, not like Chris Paul plays every game forty minutes a game, but like reasonably healthy. Uh, what's the worst case scenario? My first thought is the six or the seventh or eighth seed or the seventh, eighth or ninth seed, and then losing a play-in game or something like that is like the worst possible scenario. Uh, but what do you think? Yeah, like Jay Crowder shoots like 37% from the field. And Chris Paul says that DeAndre Ayton isn't allowed to come hang out at his crib because he's not putting in enough effort at practices. Uh, stuff like that. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't actually think like the locker room is going to implode. I just don't see that with this team. It's Everyone seems like just very stable. Yeah. Um, like not not level headed. That's not the word I want to use for it because I don't think this is a particularly level headed bunch. Yeah. But they're not gonna blow up at each other, I don't think. The the one the one little thing I do have my own questions about is like I I, I think it's abundantly clear that Chris Paul wants to play with Devin Booker and vice versa, that they want to yeah. play with each other. That's right. why this happened. I do have a little thing in the back of my head that says does Chris Paul actually want to play with DeAndre Ayton or is he just sort of going to tolerate him? Um, and I think that's going to be an interesting relationship to kind of look at, but, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. know. I haven't seen them interact. Yeah. Uh, here's what I will say about James Jones. He traded an unhappy Trevor Ariza like two and a half months into a season. And I don't think he's afraid to do that if somebody is causing a problem. So I'm not super, super worried about that. I appreciate that he's willing to take the heat even if it means he's being made fun of by the previous general manager of the Suns. uh at edmund the slayer said why is mike so mean to me also congrats on signing everyone i wanted on the mavs what he's referring to is him and i talked recently and i yelled at him about how much better i think seth curry is for the mavs than josh richardson personally and i and i didn't realize it would have been like it, it's a controversial opinion on like mavs twitter this is something i learned uh I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Here's what I think. Just just to explain my perspective. The spacing that Seth Curry provided for the Mavericks is underappreciated by so many people, especially Mavs fans, because they got so used to seeing a team that had good spacing. Me, when I watch the Mavs, I'm just like, wow, Luka Doncic has so much space to get to the rim because nobody can leave Seth Curry, whether he's moving or just standing 35 feet away from the rim. And I think Josh Richardson, as good as he is at shooting, you can leave him a little bit and get back to him in time to contest it because he's not the same type of shooter that Seth Curry is. So even though he'll provide a little bit more on defense, I think the lack of spacing that is going to come with replacing Seth Curry. Basically, my theory is the net ratings with Seth Curry and Josh Richardson will show that Seth Curry was actually better, even if the actual raw numbers don't really look like that at the end of the season. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a good chance of that. Josh Richardson is one of those funny players where it's like, I kind of didn't check in on him all season long because I wasn't that interested in 
monitoring the Sixers box score stats, you know? Right. So, like, he had that good year in, in Miami a couple of years ago before the trade where he averaged, yeah. I think, like 17 points per game. And so, I, you know, I looked at his page at one point and I was like, yeah, he probably averaged, like, he's a young player, probably got better. You know, probably averaged like 18 points per game, right? And then I looked, he averaged 13 and a half points per game, three rebounds, three assists, and didn't shoot as well as Seth Curry did. Now, obviously, a lot of that is just there are fewer touches in that offense uh, with, you know, Tobias Harris and, uh, and Al Horford, obviously, and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But yeah, I don't think that's an obvious upgrade um, necessarily yeah. for Dallas, for sure. It's going to be interesting to monitor that because I just, I don't know. I really like Seth Curry, and I think he made a big... I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, Daryl Morey immediately tried to move mountains to get Seth Curry on his team because that type of spacing is is underrated. All right, at Mar, uh, Marlerman? I'm going to guess at Marlerman. With all the new shooters in the fold, how many three-pointers <laughs> are the Suns going to be taking this season? A lot, I hope. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing at a different question uh, down the page. Um, <laughs> okay. I I hope for a lot too. I I, I don't know, 35, 40. I that's like I would hope something like that. I I don't know. Well, I looked it up. I forgot the number, but I did look it up, so I should get half the credit. Um, looking <laughs> looking it up it's like again. Thir- it was like thirty something, right? That, <laughs> yeah, they took thirty two. That's what last thought, year, yeah. and that was twenty first in the NBA by volume. Which isn't it crazy that we've arrived at that point? Um, it used to be like Steve Nash's sons took 23s a game and led the right. league by far. Um, right. Yeah, I, I think they get up to maybe 35 and like league average or something. But the thing is, Chris Paul and Devin Booker take so many mid-range shots. Like neither of these guys are going to go out there and take like 15 threes in a game. They're just not mm. going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that holds you back enough from being like a top 10 team in three-point volume. But I do think they're going to be a much more efficient three-point shooting team. They're just not going to be the team that goes out there and bombs away 50 times a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they'll take a lot. I hope they'll take a lot. At its captain, Koala said, who is the worst player you would this trade Aiton for? is a dangerous question. Um, yeah, and I feel like I know who... It's, this is bait. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I haven't really thought that through. Yeah, you have. They would. They would. No. I. I wouldn't. If I had to picture trading Aiton, which I'll be honest, I have, and it's not necessarily because I don't like him. It's just trying to think of their trade value. I've traded everyone on this team in my mind to try and figure out who I would trade them for, and um, not a lot of people for Devin Booker, as you can imagine, and uh, for DeAndre Aiton, that that is a little bit bigger of a a pool of players to pick from, but I still don't think it would have to be a very good player. I'll say that it like, it wouldn't, it would be, it would be a really good young player, potential future all-star or like a star, like, uh, like a, like an absolute star. And even then it would have to be like, there would have to be chemistry reasons that would lead to that. Like I wouldn't just trade him for no reason because I think you have a lot to learn about what he can be with Chris Paul on this team. And you have to give him a chance there, obviously. Yeah. And he, he I, I think the good. only way, the only way I do it is if, um, cause like you say a potential future all-star, but that's, that's what Deandre is. Obviously it's exactly. just how afraid are you of the max contract coming in a couple of years. Right. And so I think you only trade him if like Jalen Smith is so good that he could be a starting center like next year or the year after. And you have the opportunity to flip Deandre for, a similarly amazing player, but at small forward or power forward, or your next point guard after Chris Paul. I don't really know. I, I don't think it's really worth exploring this right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, 
Yeah. So so we're we're basically punting there and not giving you an answer because we don't want to be yelled at. Yeah. And I honestly like I don't know that there's a single player in the league I could say that people wouldn't get mad at. <laughs> like if I said LeBron, it'd be a smaller percentage of people that would be mad, but there would still be a few people that are mad. <laughs> Uh, at this underscore league said a couple mailbags ago, I asked about Sharch running more pick and rolls and it was kind of dismissed. Sorry. Uh, didn't mean to dismiss that. Uh, do you think we'll see a Sarich, uh, more Sarich as a pick and roll ball handler basically? Um, and then he talks about how it looks good and it does. It's like one of the best points per possession plays for this team. But I think it's such a small sample size and it was deployed in scenarios against teams where it made a lot of sense. Like they used it really well. So I, I, I think that you should do it a little bit more than you did before, just because Saric found a good role as more of a distributor. Uh, but I think we talked a lot about it. If they're staggering lineups and, and Chris Paul or Devin Booker are on the floor, maybe those guys should have the ball a little bit more. Whoa. Than Dario. He's not kidding. I had to look it up. Um, yeah, it's really good. Really it's good a numbers. sample size of 19 possessions. Yeah. <laughs> so very, very small. But in those possessions, Saric um, shot 10 for 15 from the field, scored mm-hmm. 1.37 points per, per uh, possession, which is 98th percentile in efficiency, according to Synergy. That's crazy. Um, it's a very yeah. small sample size. Yeah. And he did, did, he did do that with Kaminsky in the bubble. I, I will say... Like to be able to be that successful with Kaminsky on the floor, I think matters. And maybe Jalen Smith can come in and be as effective as Kaminsky, which isn't a big task. And they could still do something like that. But I think, look, I wouldn't build an offense around it. I'd say that even if it is good, I think the sample size is small and the way they deployed it was so smart that they should continue to deploy it the way they were. And if it works well, do it more. I think there wouldn't be a problem with it. He also made a point of saying that he could, uh, be sort of like Bam, or maybe he's not running a pick and roll, but he is doing more uh, holding the ball at the elbow. I like that. Um, I just, you know, I like there's, there's good cutters because, on this team. Yeah, there's good cutters. I mean, imagine putting, I mean, I know Mikhail Bridges is going to start, but say you've got a, a lineup where you've got Mikhail Bridges cutting and you've got either a Galloway or a Moore kind of running around uh, the wings off a screen. I mean, there, there's a lot of stuff you could do there. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And somebody else, uh, Sun Central at Suns underscore Central said, will the lack of guard playmaking off the bench turn Dario into a discount Jokic? And yeah, I think that we saw that. Um, and that's kind of interesting. And yeah, I think that he could. I think that he could. I just think a lot of it depends on how they shake, how the minutes shake out on this team. I'm going to be curious uh, for that over-under episode because we talked about it earlier, where you're going to set the... I, one I think we need to do is over under assists for Dario because yeah. he's never averaged more than 2.6 I think is his career high but like even in a smaller sample size of minutes this year I could see a, a, a way for him to get up to like three and a half or four I don't know yeah 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 uh, that's an interesting one we sh- we got to write that one down <laughs> so we don't forget it he did also ask us an over under question this league uh over under 6.5 threes made in a single game for Booker. <laughs> you just got to go under on that for me. But uh, maybe we'll actually put that one in there and see. I think we'd all go under. At this point, it's it's not going to happen. I just He can have 100 points and somehow less than seven three-pointers still. Uh, at Luka Doncic <laughs> News. This is the one I was laughing at earlier. Are you scared of the Mavs? Let me say well, this. No, no, no. He didn't say the Mavs. You Are you to... scared of Mavs? 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Almost oh, as if you have to read it with a Slovenian accent. I, do, I don't know if I could do that without being offensive, so I'm trying to try not to. Uh, let me say this. I think they got worse. So no, not really. Wait, explain yourself. I like Seth Curry more than I like Josh Richardson, and KP is currently injured. What else did they do? Did they do anything else? They added a lot of rookies, and yeah. you know, and I don't really like people are like, well, maybe Tyrell Terry could make up for Seth Curry. No, if you're relying on Tyrell Terry to make up for Seth Curry, you're a huge step behind already. Yep, a exactly. huge step behind. Exactly. So I think they got worse. Look, Tyrell they Terry could get could a lot be, better. Could be great. Yeah. In three years. Exactly. I <laughs> you think know, next, like, for next season alone, I think they got worse. Yeah, that's and, interesting. And so much of it is dependent on how good Luka Doncic is, though, because if he just explodes, then they could be incredible. But, you know, without KP being healthy and, you know, the Suns having now the best clutch player versus them maybe having the worst clutch lineups, <laughs> I, I'm not super, super worried about them. I'm less worried about them than I would have been had they just done nothing this offseason. At Mike Notham said, what are non-starting lineups you're most excited to see this season? His two favorite are the Clamps lineup, uh, which is CP3, Javon Carter, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, and DeAndre Ayton, which, how beautiful is that one? That's my um, answer right there. I know. I'm so excited about that one, too. And then a five-out lineup with uh, Booker, Galloway, Moore, Cam, and uh, Dario, um, which is another fascinating one. I think those are pretty obvious ones. I'm going to throw out another one. Just some sort of combination of Booker, Jay Crowder, Cameron Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, and DeAndre Ayton. Just Booker, just Wings and Ayton, mm-hmm. just to see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. There's a chance it's really bad, right? <laughs> and it doesn't Why? really work. Why? Uh, well, because you're. I think you're giving up a little speed with that kind of yeah. lineup, you know, you and are. and and that could that could be a problem. But I think defensively it could be fascinating. That's like type the type of thing that could end up playing some minutes in the playoffs and look really amazing. And also there's not a lot of secondary playmaking. But I think it could be really fun defensively. And I think the other ones that he said were really fun to think about too. And just in general, the starting lineup that has Jake Crowder with Cameron Johnson in that place, offensively you could do a lot of really interesting stuff. With I still said this last season, but I think it matters even more now. With Cameron Johnson, Devin Booker, off the ball, setting screens for each other. I think they should do a little bit more of that. And I watched a lot of just sort of these staggered double pick and rolls with Chris Paul where he had one roller and one shooter setting the screen for him, basically staggered. He went around it. The roller rolled. The pick and pop guy popped out to the rim. And the combination of CP3 getting to the rim, staying at the three-point line, being a threat from the mid-range, the roller and the pop, that's always something that's amazing. And Jay Crowder, he can do that. But he's not going to do it with the efficiency that Cameron Johnson can. So uh, some sort of combination of Chris Paul, Cameron Johnson, and DeAndre Ayton is exciting to me too. So I'd like to see that. Even actually Dario Saric at the power forward, I think, could do some of the stuff that Gallinari was doing there too. Hmm. All right. Let's see. At this underscore league, another question. Favorite Westbrook destination between Knicks and Bulls? Westbrook belongs on the Knicks. And that's just how I felt for a while now. <laughs> it's destiny. What do you think? It wouldn't be that bad. No, I think they're, uh, they, they're a they team just that could need, justify it. Like they, they need something to justify the Obi Toppin pick because Obi isn't a bad <laughs> player. No, 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 yeah. no, no. Obi isn't a bad player, but they need someone to get him the ball. 
Right. They don't have anyone who can get him the ball. It's like right. you were, what you were saying about um, earlier about CP3, like what he could do with players like Nerlens Noel versus what other players could do with Nerlens Noel. Like Obi yeah. Toppin is a high-level finisher who is going to have a terrible rookie season as the Knicks roster currently stands. Because if you go out there with the idea that R.J. Barrett and Alec Burks, I love Alec Burks. Everyone should know that. But like, if those are going to be your facilitators to Obi Toppin, yeah. you are you, yeah. you already lost. You're right. looking at another 15-win season. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially Russ, with the lack of spacing they have right yeah I, I don't know I mean Russ would be you need something there why not yeah and Russ likes a good role man like actually they would make a pretty beast oh like, yeah that would he be would pretty be, hard to defend he would be his new uh, Stephen Adams for sure yep mm-hmm. um, at Miranda 100 lease said between Carter Payne Moore and Galloway who do you think will have more minutes this season who ends with less I guess we touched on that I think Galloway uh, is is number one to start the season. But it, so much depends, and I think both of us probably feel this way, so much depends on how they play during the season. Mm-hmm. And I think that those minutes will be earned more than anything else. But he also asked, what's the type of season DeAndre Ayton would have to pull out that would make you guys say, give this man the max? And then he said, in his mind, he would have to become an all-defense guy and get to the free throw line consistently. And I think we've talked about that pretty... pretty uh, a lot so far <laughs> and maybe more on previous episodes too yeah notice how many people have this same question not because it's a bad question but just because it weighs on everyone's mind you can right. tell right you can tell people are nervous well this is the season once the season's over they can offer him an extension so you know the, the timer starts as soon as the last game is played and um yeah i you know i i'm still scared of giving any big man the max i'll be honest it just scares me you have to be really, 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 really good at defense in order to justify getting a max up the defense alone. Um, I was arguing with the, the guy that said I was mean to him earlier on Twitter, uh, and he and it was about defense, and I was just saying defense just costs less. You can get It's more affordable to get defenders than it is to get offensive players, and he asked for an example, and I just said MKG just signed for a minimum. And he's still a good defensive player, but he can't do anything on offense. Right. And, you know, even if he's a top 20 defensive player in the NBA, which he might be, I don't know if you can really justify that. If you can't do anything on offense, you're not, you're not going to make a lot of money. Now, obviously, Aiton is between that. He's really effective on offense, but he's not really the type of offense guy that you think of when you think of a max guy. So, you know, just in general, I'm scared of it. But I think there's a lot of things he can do this offseason or this season that would justify paying him a lot of money and still focuses um, entirely on defense for me and effort and energy and the ability to take contact, that kind of thing. What do you think? Yeah, I thought that was an interesting point about MKG, actually. Um, I'm trying to think of a good comparison. It's like, yeah, you have an, you have an all defense, no fa- offense. Well, honestly, we could draw the comparison to Seth Curry, <laughs> who yeah. we talked about earlier in the episode, right? Well, like he Seth makes, Cur- like, what, $9 million, maybe? Yeah, Seth Curry's making $9 million. He's not going to do anything for you on defense versus MKG, who's just out yeah. there to lock someone up. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard. and has one foot in the grave, basically. Like, he's almost out of the league. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I would fall back on basically what Miranda said is his own opinion, that all defense guy and get to the free throw line, that's a good start. Yeah. I don't um, think you can be so rigid as to say, like, I don't want to give a big man the max. Like, I think that's a ridiculous point of logic. You know, you have to draw a, a line in the sand somewhere. Um, look, I I do generally feel that way unless they can do stuff like Jokic where they literally can run an entire offense so on here's their the own. Thing. Yeah, I mean, it all starts with 
dribbling the basketball. I I just I need to see him try to. Tri- I think the segues into the next question well too. He needs to try to dribble the basketball. Yeah. This year, just to, just so we can know. Like it might look terrible. It it really might look very bad. But I I just want to see it. I guess a lot of how I feel about max contracts boils down to even the best post-up players are are mostly not efficient offenses when you think about those post-ups in a vacuum other than basically one or two players in the NBA and it's just it slows down everybody it's it's basically like a version of James Harden just closer to the rim where it's less likely that you can maximize the value of the shot because you're not behind the three-point line and just mathematically just it becomes less efficient so what scares me is what you want out of a max player when you have a center is somebody who can run the offense, but what you're sacrificing is a lot to figure out if they can do that because it might mean that your overall offense gets worse, whereas somebody like Aiton becomes really effective if he just catches lobs over and over and over again. That's pretty effective offensively. But can you just, you know, that's basically Clint Capella, a defensive player who can catch lobs. Can you mm-hmm. justify paying that a, a max? And that's not why unless, he has to reach like an Anthony Davis level on def- right. not defense. Not unless he's less uh, Clint Capella and more Rudy Gobert. Right, right. And even Rudy Gobert, I don't think he's going to make a max. Like, I don't think he will. And we'll see, but I, I think it's unlikely. Uh, and the question you were referring to, Superfly TNT underscore said, Anthony Davis was famously a high school point guard before he was, or before he grew. Do you guys think perhaps Monty could have DeAndre Ayton run point in practice in the preseason? Um <laughs> No, I mean, I don't, I just, I basically just said why I think that's a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> and look, even I'm not willing to go that far, but I just like to see, like he had a couple of plays where they gave it to him in a handoff, um, but less at the elbow and more at like the top of the key. And then he kind of like dribbled into another handoff, like around the three point line. I don't know if you can visualize what I'm talking about, but yeah. there were a couple of plays in the bubble where I was like, whoa. He took three dribbles yeah. like that's mm-hmm. that's a big step for him. Mm-hmm. That's three big steps, you know, like he, he, and, and <laughs> I would just literally and I would I'd like to see that more consistently because that's yeah, that's the sort of stuff that Bam does. That's the sort of stuff that Jokic does. That's the sort of stuff that can com- comfortably take him to the next level where you feel good about giving him a max contract, even if which I think is the likely reality at this point. Um, DeAndre Ayton is a very good defensive player, but doesn't shoulder him with you know this weight of he well he has to be a top five or a top 10 defender in the entire league in order to justify that contract you know Mm -hmm. like bam is a great defender he's not a top five defender in the league but he gets away with the max contract because he averages five assists per game because he can dribble the basketball so we need i don't know we need to see him try a little bit um he also asked will this team be significantly better at rebounding the ball this season i think there's a chance that they could be slightly worse uh, rebounding the ball um, specifically because they're going to make more shots and, and that, you know, if they're a better defensive team, there might be more rebounds up for grabs. Uh, but I think it'll probably be pretty similar to last season. Maybe I'm wrong here, but, you know, uh, what do you think? I haven't really thought about this question. Um, my first impression is Jay Crowder is thick, but not like a good rebounder. Right. Um, and he's like the big the big one coming in, right? Let's see. Yeah, they Chris lost Paul's Frank... not going to get 10 rebounds again. No, not at all. They lost Frank Kaminsky, but they brought in Jalen Smith and Damian well, Jones. Well, no Baines. They'll be fine. Yeah, no. I mean, Damian Jones can grab rebounds. I don't know. I think it's basically a wash, right? Yeah, this it's is about like the a same. surface That's level analysis. Yeah, yeah, it's about the same. Uh, here's one thing I will say. 
Chris Paul, for how good he is at distributing the ball, he's not much of a up and down player. Like Chris Paul teams actually tend to be more of half court teams than they are transition teams, which in this case hurts a little bit because you still got Devin Booker, you still have Mikhail Bridges, but you no longer have Ricky Rubio who prefers to run a little bit and Kelly Oubre who is one of the best transition players in the NBA. Chris Paul actually does like to play a little bit in the half court, so there's a chance that the Suns actually double down their efforts on 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 rebounding instead of trying to run in transition, and that could lead to more rebounds in in some cases because they're not as much running back. Uh, there's more attacking the glass. I don't know that that's going to be the strategy, well, but I could see I that being. I don't know that that's the strategy either, but. That's the best way for, or another good way for DeAndre Ayton to derive value out of his game, right? Because like you look at, yeah. I mean, he's a better rebounder than a guy like Gobert. He's a better rebounder than a guy like Bam, too, for sure. I mean, he's just so much bigger. Um, yeah, I mean that there. It's conceivable that DeAndre Ayton goes out there and just averages fourteen or fifteen offensive, not offensive, right. fourteen or fifteen rebounds yeah. per game, right? Yeah. And that's like that would go a long way towards getting him to the free throw line as well. Just crash the glass but like even so that still doesn't feel like a max player you know (laughs) you know like it's like yeah reggie evans or ben wallace were great offensive rebounders they weren't they weren't max players you know yeah i feel like we're gonna have to put some sort of cap on the total amount of times that we bring up a deandre and max this season yeah for sure i think it's fair to talk about now before the season starts but let's try not to I do think, it a lot. I think it might need to be like uh, what we did with Mikhail Bridges' yeah. shot last year where we put like a moratorium and then yeah. we lifted it. We were like, okay, we're not going to talk about Mikhail yeah. Bridges' shot for six weeks and it'll go away. We're just right. going to pretend it's not there and it'll go away. Yeah, so we're going to turn DeAndre Ayton into a max player by never talking about it. And then we can take the credit <laughs> for it. I like it, I like it. At Yevgeny Kogosov said... Any potential players you have your sights on for the BAE? Or do you think they'll opt to use it next year? And he's hoping for a George Hill buyout. I think you've got to save it for a potential George Hill buyout. Like, that's the main thing. I think the OKC Thunder are going to do their best to trade him because that's what they're trying to do with everybody. But I, I'd rather save it, and I think it's okay to even save it for the next offseason. There's, there, you know, there's going to be free agents next offseason that if the Suns are good and they actually show something, they might be able to get a better player with that BAE after maybe playing some playoff games than using it right now when the free agency market is kind of trash right now. There's really nothing left. Uh, so I'm not, I, I actually prefer saving it for the season and even taking it into next season. I'm not going to criticize them for at this point. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think they're going to keep the BAE for next year. I just, I and just you're okay don't see- with that. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I mean, I just don't see... I, look, I love Shaq Harrison. You know, <laughs> I struggle to see why Shaq Harrison is still a free agent with us being two days away from training camp. Someone should pick him up. Um, but not not a player I'd pick up with the BAE right now. And I just think this team has so much depth already with their 14 current spots. They're cool with the flexibility moving forward. Yeah, that last spot. And I think we've gotten some questions while we've been in this podcast record that we're not going to get to. I apologize. Uh, and I know some people have asked about that last roster spot. I think you try and get a, basically a coach that could play in a pinch with that last roster spot. So maybe an older player experienced in the playoffs, either a winger or big is what you I would You floated up a tomb earlier today. Yeah, and then he was signed by the Clippers. Then, so. Yeah. I mean, um, I wasn't, I'm not a fan anyway, but. I understand. Yeah, and I get that. I, I do think that 
when you're looking at vet minimum deals, which we're talking about here at this point, uh, you could get like Batum's 31 and he's got something to prove. So he probably won't play and maybe he will suck. But if he's not, if he's not like a problem in the locker room and if enough injuries are sustained by this team, he could probably step in and play. And, you know, maybe it's better to give a younger guy a chance there, but we'll see. I think, I think of absolute, like a veteran veteran who's, who's been around the league for a while is the best fit there just to be part of the coaching staff, basically like Udonis Haslam. I mean, like James Jones knows Udonis Haslam. He hasn't played a minute in a few seasons and continues to be signed by the Miami heat because he's a coach. And they can pay him a little extra. Yeah, I mean, is he really worth it, though? I don't know. It's uh, like they made the finals last year. I know, but like, (laughs) how do you judge that? Whether whether or not they're worth it? Like, how do you? How would you know? It's impossible to know. They can they can get away with it because they just won the finals. I just feel (laughs) like with Udonis, that's a special case where it's like, man, he should really just be an assistant coach. (laughs) Like he's taking (laughs) he is taking. There are only so many NBA roster spots in the league. And he is taking a spot away from someone else. That's how I feel about that. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. It'd be interesting if they checked him in at some point in the season just to foul the hell out of somebody. (laughs) 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 It'd be kind of fun. At Savage on the Sun said, we're going to fly through these last like four or five here, okay? Uh, Is there a case for Cam Johnson to start over Crowder? I think we've covered that. Um, Yeah, I think we've covered that one. So sorry, we already covered that one. At Nathan B. She, hmm? uh, who do you think will get along on this team? Last season was one of the first in a while where he felt like there was a true mesh. They kept a ton of guys. And then he said, will Jay and Booker bury the 70-point beef? I just want to say, just to address that, there is no beef. There is no beef. They're fine. I guarantee that they both understand why they want to play with each other, and they're very excited to do it. Um and then uh, he said, well, Mikhail convert Galloway into a Chipotle stand. Is there it seems like that? NBA players just love Chipotle in general. I don't get yeah. it. <laughs> um, it's fine. It's so average. They're going to get along. So They're going to be fine. Um, you know who's going to get along on this team? Jalen Smith and Monty Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. They, it's like they just are. <laughs> <laughs> like I think well first of all why are you laughing it's just funny why I know exactly what you're talking about I know right, exactly right? like I look about. I look at his obviously I'm gonna go and follow Jalen Smith on Twitter <laughs> you're well within your right to to post whatever you want on Twitter but like it's only Bible verses yeah obviously that guy is gonna get along with with Monty Williams all right, all right. we're an hour and 13 minutes into this record are you at least a little bit afraid that's why they drafted him what, because he's religious? Because he's super what? Are you religious? worried? Are you worried that people stop listening by now? I don't think. <laughs> no, I'm hoping at least some people did. <laughs> I, I don't think that's why. Um, I think. Um, first of all, is James Jones religious? Have we ever researched this? No, uh, but I met. Uh, he did mention in the uh, press conference that Monty Williams also has a say, though. Yeah. No. I. I. I uh, to be honest, I think like. I say this now and then I'm going to get fucked over next year when we try to cover the draft again, but I feel like I have it sorted now. James Jones's drafting strategy is just give me a player who can shoot, who is not a freshman and is ready to go. And yeah. you know, like a, a guy who it was a good college player. That doesn't necessarily always mean they become a good NBA player. Yeah. And with no personality problems on the record. Right. I think it's yeah. is a thing. Just give me, give Which me by a, the way, a clean shaven that... young man uh, <laughs> who can shoot the rock. 
And yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, is something that Daryl Morey advocated for in his AMA on Reddit, which if you haven't read it, Sam or anyone listening, check it out. It's pretty fascinating. He, he advocated for that or he advocated for James Somebody Jones? asked him about his draft strategy and he said oh. he prefers older players who can contribute right away. And we know he likes shooters. So I think it's just something he mentioned. And I think it makes sense for him, too. He was building potential championship teams at that time. And as we covered with Schmidt, most of these guys, if you're drafting for talent alone, like or potential alone, most of these guys don't really contribute on their rookie deals at all. So if you draft older, you have a higher percentage chance of them contributing on that rookie deal, yada, yada, right. yada. Sometimes you don't, though. I mean, if you're Daryl Morey, sometimes yeah. you pick a Sam Decker. <laughs> you yeah. know, like yeah. you have plenty That's of those, true. too. It's just you pick a 21-year-old shooter and yeah. in the first round. And, I mean, hey. Ty James, Jerome. Yeah, exactly. I was going to yeah. bring him up next. At the Mighty Tuge has a few questions for us. Which players would benefit the most from a vegan diet or a beef sponsorship? I mean, I think anything to get Mikhail off the all Chipotle all the time <laughs> diet would probably beef up his, uh, let no pun intended. Yeah, his, maybe uh, he needs the beef sponsorship is what you're his, saying. His all defense um, yeah. campaign. And who would need the vegan diet? Um, who's the oldest player outside Chris of... Chris Paul already is vegan. So right? Chris Paul's fine. Who's the oldest player outside of him? Jay Crowder, I guess, right? Put Jay, I don't want Jay. I want Jay Crowder and the beef sponsorship too. <laughs> I want him to stay thick. I think we're fine with the amount of vegans we have. Maybe Devin Booker could be a vegan. I'd be. Do okay we really with not have an older player? I guess like each one more. He's like thirty-one. Yeah, that's right. That's a good one. Each one more. He could. He could be a vegan. I'm okay with it. If it extends his career, if it did whatever it did to Chris Paul last year that made him all of a sudden play basically every single game except for two games that were missed not because of injury, that would be remarkable. Uh, he also asked, how much faith do you think the front office has in Cameron Payne? I think a little bit, but I think it's different. What type I, of faith? I, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I think that... I think That's my that, worst I'll, joke ever. I'll say uh. this. With Cameron Payne... It's different than last year, and I'm going to keep repeating this. The offense fell apart with Ricky Rubio and no Devin Booker. It's not going to fall apart with Chris Paul and no Devin Booker. It's different. It's different. It's different. That means that you could take, you could roll the dice a little more with Cameron Payne, and then if it doesn't work at all, stagger the minutes as much as possible, and you'll be fine. Do um, you have any other thoughts on that question? We've got a few more. Is Cameron a biblical name? I don't think so. Yeah, it's not. Had to look uh, it up. Anyway, uh, no, no, we can move on. We are a we are an hour and twenty minutes into this bad boy. Uh, the Suns had a mediocre defense at best last season. There seems to be high hopes for this season. How good do you see this defense being? I would be surprised if they were like top ten in defense, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were just out of the top ten. What do you think? They were seventeenth last year. You, don't you think there's a chance that they're top ten? Yeah, small chance. Small chance. Um, I, I still think, well, actually, yeah, you, I don't know. you're probably I mean, like right. Aiden, I, I could see it. Mikhail is going to be Mikhail. Crowder's going to be Crowder. and Crowder minutes with Chris Paul. That's pretty, yeah, you're right. There's I think chance. if Aiton takes the next step, oh, yeah. the, the hurdle, yeah, the jump, the leap, the leap, <laughs> <laughs> the forward, <laughs> I don't know. Um, the I can't. <laughs> 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 We're delirious now. <laughs> what, what if the were we Suns have a about? top, I think they could oh, have a top yeah, three um, offense. <laughs> if they have a top ten defense and a top three offense, they're a contender. Yeah, it, it's possible. Um, that was my original. Do you really point. think that's possible? I don't know. Well, I don't know. What, 
Yeah, I think it's possible. I like it. <laughs> the Suns, let's see. At Battle and Rise said, what? More, what ma- we have two more, two more, two more. What main difference? We got through it, so we have to finish. We're this close okay, to finishing. Okay. Uh, what main differences do you expect to see in the type of offense that ran uh, that's being run this year compared to last year? Mm. What are some ways it will likely be similar? I just touched on it. I think we're going to be slower. We're not going to run as much with Chris Paul, and I think that's okay. And it also sets you up better for the playoffs where you just can't run. And um, I think more threes. Those are the main differences. Yeah, half more half court offense, like you said. Um, a little bit more ISO dependent, but like not. It's not going to be Houston, but I do think there are going to be more of those plays. Just you know, you sub out Rubio for for Chris Paul, and that's what happens. Um, yeah, and I think more spot ups. Yeah, for sure. Okay, one question that's not on our list that was asked since we started recording, but it's a good question from a friend of ours. We have to answer it. What would you do? On nights where CP3 rests, this is from our friend David Nash. It's a good question, I think, because you can start Galloway, you can start Moore, you can start Cameron Payne. I haven't thought too much about this, but my first thought is I'd start Cameron Payne and just see if it works. Um, And if it doesn't, you know, and if the minutes without Chris Paul with Langston Galloway or Etwan Moore look really good early, then you could do that too. Um, but I still think a secondary playmaker is something that not only do the Suns like, I think Devin Booker likes to have on the floor with him too. What do you think? I'm going to make uh, Dom from Suns Twitter, you know Dom, happy mm-hmm. and, and say, let's go all in on, on point book, Yeah, I think, with these lineups. I think that's what you got to do. I mean, I think there's a real chance for you. Uh, let's see. You really don't mind playing Cam Johnson at shooting guard? Because <laughs> I could do this right now. I could. Go. I mean, I wouldn't hate it. No, I he, wouldn't hate. He wouldn't. It depends actually. on the matchups. But here's the thing. No, Cam wouldn't play shooting guard, but Mikhail could. So you you could you could start book right, right. Mikhail, on defense. Yeah, it's it's book Mikhail, Cam Crowder, Aiton. Yeah, I think that's the lineup. I don't know. I just I don't really want campaign to start ever unless he. Proves himself to be better than I think he's going to be. I see. I just. I feel like. I feel like when these guys are starting like two or three times a season, like it's something that Pop does, where he'll put these guys in a position to what he did when he had a good team. He'll put the bench guys in a position to start on a TNT game, specifically to make them try their hardest in front of those audiences when they know they're stepping into big shoes. And then you can point back at that later in the season and say, hey, remember this? When you started and you had 18 points and eight assists and you were, you know, pushing it on defense every single play. Well, we need that from you off the bench every single game. So I think there is like a coaching element where, yes, you're putting Cameron Payne into shoes that are too difficult to fill. But maybe that's okay a a few times a season to do that because he's going to push really hard and try really hard in those scenarios. And then you have something to point back at when you're coaching later. So I don't know. I, maybe I think too much like a coach in that scenario, but I think it maybe it would be okay. Any other thoughts before we wrap this really long podcast up? I do not think so. I'm very excited for this season. I'll just say that. I'm looking forward to our over-under episode, which will hopefully come out soon, as soon as the Vegas uh, numbers come out. We'll have to ask Max about that one, of course. I already and did. Uh, he's, uh, he's in. Oh, yeah. He's into Perfect. it. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah, we have a tradition. Uh, with him at this point so we can certainly do that um i think we're going back to one a week right yeah i think so unless you know (laughs) hey some things happen and we have to talk about it we'll talk about it 
Um, I totally missed what you just said because I was looking up something else. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. Basically, I said I'm okay with them keeping that BAE all the way oh, to next season. Yes, 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 next yes, off yes. Season. Yep, okay. Three, two, one, bang. Um, yeah, I think, uh, fuck. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm so bad at doing that. All right. <laughs> Three, two. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think they're going to keep the BAE. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.